Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Alex, and if you are new here, we are in a teaching series called Summer Baggage, and we're talking about the things that weigh us down, the things that hold us back, and a lot of times we're carrying baggage and we don't even realize it, kind of like in our video, this guy has this weight on his back, and he's carrying it with him into work, he's carrying it with him into his relationships, into marriage, he's even taking the trash out under the weight of this baggage. And what we're doing in this series is saying, what things are we carrying that are holding us back from what God's best is for us? I I don't know if you know this or not, but God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And it's on us to get rid of the things that are going to slow us down in pursuit of what he desires for us. But just like our guy in the video, a lot of times we don't recognize that we are carrying weight. And some of you are probably thinking, Man, that could be taken a lot of different ways. So let's go back to summer baggage. Some of us are carrying some baggage that we don't realize that we're carrying. And so, so we'll put it on the screen like this. This is the point I'm trying to make. Because a lot of us, we're, we're, we're pretty good. We think we're doing pretty good. But we are unaware of what we are carrying so often. We are unaware of what we are carrying. And my hope and my prayer in this series is to help you identify and recognize some weight that you may be carrying, some baggage you may be carrying that might be slowing you down. And so just to prove that we are, in fact, unaware of what we are carrying, we're going to have a little fun together. This is audience participation time. Um, my, my dad was the pastor here for a long time. He always wanted to be like a holler back preacher. You know, that would be where he would say some stuff and like you would be like, amen. And he would get that and that would be an encouragement to him. He didn't even care if he said something and it hit home. If you said, oh my, he just wanted there to be interaction. Now for me, I could care less. If you want to say amen, that's great. If you want to say, oh my, if you just want to sit there and go, wow, God is speaking, that's cool. Uh, I, I don't require much feedback, but right now, this is the time that we're going to interact together, all right? Because you're carrying some things, and you don't even realize it, but I'm going to prove it to you. And so I'm going to say some stuff, and then I just want you to verbalize whatever it is that you need to verbalize. Some of you are like, what is this going to be? You will see. Are we all ready? Okay, that was almost 100% participation, not even close. Are we all ready? All right. Nationwide is? See, you were carrying that and had no idea that that was inside of you. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's in you. McDonald's, come on. Like a good neighbor? Where is this coming from? How do you know these things? Sweet Caroline, (laughs) it's in you. You didn't know it. The best part of waking up is, Uh uh-huh, I don't want to grow up. Um, See, it's in you. You're carrying it. You didn't even know it. I want my baby back, baby, back, baby. I want my baby back, baby, back, baby. What's the next line? Chili's baby back ribs. Let's do it again. Chili's baby back with barbecue sauce. That's the best part of the whole 
the whole thing. See, we are unaware of what we are carrying. It's inside of you. You didn't think up that stuff, but it was inside of you. And when the right prompt was given, when the right button was pushed, what was under the surface all of a sudden came up. It was in you. You were carrying it, but you weren't aware of what you were carrying. How many of you um, grew up in church? Maybe not this church, but you grew up in church. Like you, you were there. All right, all of you with your hands up, we got some baggage we carry in too because we grew up in church. So for all my church kids, Father Abraham, see, it's in you. It's just a part of your life. Now that song will be stuck in your head for the rest of your life. Jesus loves me, this I know. See? Deep and wide, deep and wide. Some of you who didn't grow up in church are like, what is the matter with these people? Oh, my goodness. Jesus loves the little children. Let's do our colors. Red and yellow. Black. Wait, wait, wait. Is this... <laughs> So good. I don't know if that song's been canceled or not, if it's politically correct or not, but there it is. We are still singing about Jesus loving all the children of the world. So often we are, put that back up there, we are unaware of what we are carrying, but when the right button is pushed, what lies beneath comes to the surface. And with that in mind today, I want us to address the baggage of, drumroll, everybody, little drumroll. The baggage of fear. The baggage of fear. See, most of you, if I was to say, are you carrying the baggage of fear? You'd say, no, no. I mean, I get nervous about some things. I'm uneasy about some things. We have lots of other words that we would, you know, put on it. But, ah, I ain't no scared cat. I ain't afraid. I ain't walking with fear. But when your button gets pushed just the right way, when the right prompt happens in life, all of a sudden, what is ever under the surface of that baggage of fears there, all of a sudden it comes up. And so today, I want us to have some self-examination to say, is it possible that somewhere in me there is a root of fear? Because if it's there, what I have found is when it surfaces, that fear will actually shape how you view other people. It'll shape how you view the world. It'll even shape how you view God and yourself. And so we need to be careful that we are not weighed down by this baggage of fear because it will manipulate how God wants us to view the world. How many of you guys have been traveling this summer? Anybody been traveling a little bit? I, I, I had a little short trip to Omaha Zoo uh, with the kids. We had a blast. It was a short drive. Uh, it was perfect, though. But summer really is a great time to travel. But when you think about traveling, oftentimes you end up in an unfamiliar space or a situation. If you travel overseas, you end up in California. You go somewhere you've not been before. All of a sudden, traveling can bring fears to the surface for a lot of people. Um, some people are afraid of flying. And the thought of flying, Rebecca's like, oh, this is me. I don't want to fly, but I want to fly. I want to get out of here, but I don't want to get out of here. Um, there is that. And then what's up with all the turbulence these days? I don't know. But it's there, right? That's in the news. Um, we have these fears. We, we're afraid that maybe if I went and did that zip lining activity, I might get injured. Or if I go to another country and the language barrier's there, what if I, I get stolen? Or what if I can't communicate what I need? Or what if I eat some unknown food and I have some reaction to it? Or there's fears in climbing 
climbing the water slide to the top and going down it or swimming with dangerous fish or being attacked by a wild animal while camping or being robbed. We have all sorts of fears that can come about. And some of you are like, I'm staying home for the rest of my life. I'm not going anywhere. And fear really can suck the joy right out of a vacation so much so that you never even leave. But even when we aren't traveling, we're still dealing with fears. We all have probably some degree of a fear of failing. I think the number one fear that we all have is a fear of humiliation. There's a fear of dying, leaving this life. There's a fear of the future. What's the future going to hold? Will I ever get married? Will my marriage sustain? What was the future hold? Um, a lot of us have a fear of repeating the past. Oh, I'm still broken. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I have tendencies. Um, some of us have a fear of particular people in our lives. And others of us just have this underlying fear of loss. What keeps you up at night? It might have something to do with what you fear. And fear takes on many shapes, takes on many forms. And most people who are carrying this baggage of fear, again, they don't realize it because they're really good at hiding it from others as well as from themselves. Because if I'm really afraid, then I don't know how I feel about me. I've got to act like I'm the strongest, baddest Superman in the world. Like, I'm going to take this on. One of the fears that a lot of us carry is the fear of not having enough. How many of you guys would like some uh, money? Extra money? Extra money? Anybody want to show up to work tomorrow? Your boss say, hey, I just want to give you a raise. Anybody say, no, I'm good. I have all the money I need. You keep your money, sir. Not, none of us would. We, we would all take the money. But, but here's the question. If we have this desire for money, why? What's, what's fueling that desire? See, I think a lot of us would take it because, honestly, if we had just a little bit more money, we'd feel a little bit more secure. Because we fear that we don't have enough, and if some circumstances and situations arise, I'm not going to be okay. So the extra money in the drive for is actually rooted in fear, even though we wouldn't ever say that. What causes us to desire that? If the money's bringing an extra level of peace, that means that you're not sure that you're going to have peace without it. So listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a savings account. I'm all for having an emergency fund. I hope that all of you can become very wealthy, but I want you to check your heart's desire for those things. What's fueling those desires? Is it fear or is it faith? And that's the question we're going to ask a lot today. Is it fear or is it faith? And this may be a new thought for some of you, but we are not physical beings living a spiritual life. We are spiritual beings living a physical life. In other words, there is the physical part of me. We'll put a little diagram up here. It's the part of me that has lungs and it has blood and it has arteries and it has a brain. It's right here. You can see the physical part of me, but this isn't the real me. Like, I'm actually inside of here. My spirit is going to live forever. This is falling apart. I mean, I know it looks pretty good right now, but it is fading away. It is not what it once was. Some of you are like, amen, holy smokes, what happened? This is temporary, but my spirit is eternal. It is permanent. It is lasting forever. And one day, this physical body, it's going to go in the grave. It'll be cremated. It's not going to remain 
dust to dust. It's ashes to ashes. We going back just to being, this is going to fade away. But I am going to live forever somewhere. And my eternal destination choices, there's just two. It's not multiple choices. Uh, there's just two. I'm either going to spend eternity in heaven or I'm going to spend eternity in hell. And here's the deal. I don't get to negotiate with God when I see him. Like, oh, man, here he is. My physical being's gone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to persuade God. I'm going to talk God into letting me in. No, no, that's not how it works. Uh, how many of you guys seen the movie Gladiator? Great movie. Come on. Russell Crowe back in the good days. I don't know what happened to him in the recent days, but whatever. Um, he played the role of Maximus, and as he's getting ready to get the troops ready to go, he says something. I always, it always stuck with me. And he said, men, what you do in this life echoes into eternity. That's pretty good. He didn't know he was preaching, but he's preaching. Because our physical life, what we do in the physical life, what we do while we have this body on is going to determine our eternal destination. What we do in this life echoes into eternity. And so while this is temporary, it's still important. While this is fading away, what we do right now has eternal ramifications. And so as we think about this, we want to recognize uh, this crazy truth. And that is that as we are spiritual beings in a physical body, the most real part of me is actually what is unseen. See, the spiritual world that God lives in existed before the physical world. And the spiritual world actually created this temporary physical material world. And one day this material world fades away, but the spiritual lives on forever. So what's more real, the created thing or the creator? Well, the creator is the most real thing, the spiritual world. And so we, however, get consumed in the physical, in the here and the now, and we don't think about the bigger picture. But you are actually designed, you're created by God to connect with him in spirit, which means that you were created and you were designed for faith. See, faith is the way that we in this physical being, in this physical life, connect with the supernatural. It's how we connect with the spiritual. Faith is that conduit. It is by grace you've been saved through. If you don't have faith, you don't have regeneration. You don't have new life. You don't have God's Holy Spirit living in you. We come alive spiritually, and our spirit life is alive, made alive through faith. You were created to function from a position of faith. And, and here's the truth. Faith is what connects us to the spiritual world. It's what connects us to the unseen, non-material world. The real part of me that connects with God is unseen. Recently, I heard uh, Pastor Erwin McManus. He, he was sharing about the relationship between faith and fear. And here's what he said. He said, we've been hardwired for faith. But fear is the negative expression of faith. Faith is a positive conviction of the future. Man, I believe it's going to work out. I believe good things. I believe God is for me. But fear is the negative conviction of the future. It's never going to work out. It's always going to be a problem. I'm never going to get a good job. Happiness is gone. The same fuel that we have to give towards faith, we often misappropriate and allow to fuel fear. Fear is the negative expression of faith. And when you live by fear, it's because you've bought into the mindset in which you are projecting a negative outcome on your future. 
It's a negative outcome on your situation. It's a negative outcome. See, when you're carrying this baggage of fear, you'll quickly begin to believe that everything is against you. The universe is against you. People are against you. God's against you. Even you're against you. And you begin to live with this internal paranoia of the what if. But faith, on the other hand, is almost the delusional belief that it's going to be okay. Things are going to happen. God is for me. My current situation isn't my permanent situation. And because we're spiritual beings living in a material world, here's the deal. We get to choose whether we live by faith or by fear. And this brings us to our main verse for the day, which is 2 Timothy 1.7. And it says this. It says, help me out. For God has not given us a... He hasn't given that to you. He's a good father. He gives good gifts. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of... And of... And a... Man, I want those. Those are good gifts. Anybody, anybody say, nah, I don't need God's power in my life. No, I've got all the love I need. <laughs> A sound mind? Man, I want to be able to think clearly. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in our world. Get me think some weird stuff. Don't watch the news. What? Okay, sorry. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We were designed to live by faith, not by fear. God does not want us to live with the spirit of fear. It's not what he wants for his children. Rather, he wants you to have power and love and a sound mind, and those are only available when we exercise our faith in Jesus Christ. Think for a second about my power versus God's power. My power, man, is limited. I can only do so many things. But God's power, on the other hand, well, that's pretty unlimited. Well, I'm going to try to get healthy and take care of my body. Okay, but then something happens and I have this physical problem and I, I can't fix it and the doctors don't know what to do with it. Well, that's pretty much the end of my power. I did everything I could. I took my vitamins. I got eight hours of sleep. I did the fish oil thing. I even fasted. Okay, great. You did all that you could, but you still can't fix the problem. But with God, you have a, a, an issue, you have pain, you have a disease the doctors don't know what. God knows what you have, and God can miraculously heal you. He has unlimited power. He doesn't promise that he's going to fix every one of your problems, but guess what? He's got the power to, and if he has the power to, that means I have hope. I don't know exactly how he's going to write my narrative, but by George, he could do anything. And that causes me to wake up with hope. I can function in fear. Gosh, this thing's going to kill me. It's going to be the end of my life. I, my dreams are crushed and what I wanted. No, I could live in fear or I can choose to live in faith. I serve a God that can do all things. And I'm going to choose to put my trust and faith in him. My power versus God's power. See, when I live in my power, because it's a limited power, there's a fear of not having enough. But when I live in faith in God's power, he'll supply every need I have. He will give me what I need to accomplish his will. He'll provide, he'll deliver, he'll make up the difference, and that mindset is fueled by faith. There's really two approaches to life. One is that I believe that I must control my own destiny. I'm the master of my own fate. 
And when I have that mindset, I will always look inside of myself for strength and depend on my own resources to succeed. But the other mindset is when I believe that God is in control and I just do my best with the talents and opportunities I've been given. Because ultimately, if God's in charge, I realize that God is the only one I can truly depend on. And then I look outside of myself to God for strength, for power, for provision, and it's through him I succeed. Two ways of approaching life. And see, I'm learning more and more. I always was taught, man, you got to have good self-confidence, son. you got to believe in yourself. you gotta, you got to have that self-confidence. But I'm finding myself these days relying less on self-confidence and more on God-confidence. God's confidence, God confidence that's, that's what we really need. See, the verse that's been driving kind of our whole series here on Summer Baggage, it's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, here's our assignment. We underlined it. Let us strip off every weight, that's the baggage that we're carrying, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And get this. We're to do that, we're to get rid of this weight and sin so that we can run with endurance the race God has set before us. It's not a sprint. It's going to require endurance. It's going to be a long haul. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have times that you want to quit. I don't know if you've ever been in distance, but your mind plays tricks on you. It says that you're going to die. You're not. You'll pass out before you die. You just got to keep going. Yes, I tell that to my athletes. So, yes, there is a race to run, and you may not think that you're going to do it, but listen, we have to run with endurance, but it's the race that God's created you for, and it's where fruitfulness and fulfillment and meaning comes from. And our verse continues, and it says, here's how we do this. Here's how we run this race. Here's our motivation. Here's our focus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. What is he? Oh, he's the champion. Like, he's the best racer that's ever raced life. Like, he did it, and he did it right. So you want to know, like, you want to be a sprinter? You look at Usain Bolt. You want to run the life of being a Christ follower? You follow Christ. You follow his example. What did he do? Well, he initiates and perfects our what? Faith. Man, isn't that good? He isn't initiating and perfecting fear. He's initiating and perfecting faith. In fact, true love casts out Because of the joy Jesus had awaiting him, guess what? He endured the cross. He disregarded its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Man, I want to run the race that God has for me. And if I'm going to do that, I have to strip off any weight that is holding me back in the sin that so easily entangles. And if I've been living with fear, I have to get rid of it. I need to exchange the baggage of fear for faith. Dallas Willard wrote in his book this. Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, fear not, fear not. Imagine what that would be like. No fear of life, aging, or death, or disease, or hunger. No fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. You can live without fear even in the midst of a world dominated by fear. That's what God has to offer. But how? How do I do this? How do I replace fear with faith? How do I change my mindset? Well, there's this guy in the Bible by the name of Daniel who I think can help us. How many of you guys know Daniel? 
What's he known for, Daniel and the? See, look at you guys. You've been carrying it. All this information and knowledge about God is so good. So, so Daniel is this person who, honestly, he should have probably been functioning from a place of fear. But instead, he was functioning from a place of faith. So who is Daniel? Well, around the age of 14, Daniel's home country was invaded and conquered by another country, the Babylonians. Take a moment Don't let that pass you by like, okay. No, no. There was an entire army country that invaded, and they took over. Like, can you imagine our country, America, being invaded and taken over? Would that make you a little scared? We now have new leadership. The government's no longer. We have a new government. We have new people telling you what to do. In fact, they're in charge now, and we kind of belong to them. Uh, we're kind of in slavery now, and whatever they say is what it is. And, oh, don't forget, you're 14. Hmm. There's Daniel for you. I know we think of it as a Bible story, but that's Daniel. That's his life. Where his parents are, uh, we don't ever hear about his parents separated from them. In fact, his name Daniel was the name that his Hebrew parents gave him. But now that he's a part of this new kingdom, they gave him a whole new name. Isn't that what the enemy likes to do too? Yeah, I know who God called you to be, but I'm going to call you what I want. I'm going to label you. I'm going to tell you that you don't have a future. I want you to be rewired and think a different way. No, no, no. I got to remember who God's called me to be. And so Daniel After his home country was invaded, conquered by the Babylonians, him and some friends, they were all marched off to the city of Babylon. So now he's in a new country. And there, Daniel was recruited to become an officer, a counselor, or an aide in the new king's government. Uh, What King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, said, he said, find me the smartest, best educated, the best looking, those who are born of noble birth. What we're going to do is we're going to find those who have the brightest futures, and we're going to indoctrinate them with our culture. We're going to feed them our food. We're going to teach them our language. We're going to teach them our history. And they're not going to worship their God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, anymore. Instead, we're going to teach them about our gods, the Babylonian gods. And our boy Daniel was one of those recruited in here who was smart, who was intelligent, who was wise to be one of these leaders. So if you can imagine, kind of a smart military play, right? Like, let's take the best and the brightest who could possibly lead a revolt. Let's indoctrinate them, and we'll have them lead. So Daniel, I mean, he proved to be one of the best of the best, and he quickly advanced through the services of Nebuchadnezzar. But here was the thing. Daniel maintained his deep faith. He was not ruled by fear, and he was able to function in this new reality without forgetting the God of his people. And it was through faith in God that Daniel was able to interpret dreams for the troubled Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, he became a trusted advisor, not only to Nebuchadnezzar, but also to the Persian king, Darius, who would later conquer Babylon. So yeah, he lived through two overtakings of the government here. And so think about this. Even in the midst of a violent regime change, Daniel chose faith over fear. And because he did, he was valued and he was protected. And as Daniel became an old man, he continued his habit. We learned that he had this habit of going into his room and kneeling down in the direction of Jerusalem and praying to God three times a day. He did this even while serving these other kings. And so Darius, this king at the time, uh, let it be known that he was kind of considering everybody 
to report to Daniel. Like all the other advisors, all the other officials, you're going to all answer to my boy Daniel over here. And needless to say, the other advisors and officials didn't like Daniel to be their boss. I don't know if you have that tension at your job. Anybody say jealousy? So what they decided, they said, we ain't going to answer no Daniel. We're going to get rid of Daniel. Let's come up with some way of ridding him so that we can do what we want. And so what these guys did is they schemed and convinced the king to proclaim a law forbidding anyone to pray to any god other than to King Darius himself. Can't pray to anybody, you just got to pray to the king. And since this kind of loyalty oath, it was not uncommon in that day, King Darius, man, it sounded like a reasonable plan to him, and it kind of helped his ego. That's great. They're going to be liking me, praying to me. It's good. I like it. So the king had this law drawn up. Anybody who prays anybody other than him, uh, yep, that's uh, going to have a problem. There's a punishment. If you violate this law, here was the punishment. All offenders would be tossed into a den of lions. Okay. Sounds kind of serious. Now, Daniel, he was not ignorant. He wasn't an idiot. He knew what the law meant. He also was able to perceive enough to understand the intent of those who had influenced the king to proclaim it. So what did Daniel do? Did he, oh man, he got afraid, so he stopped praying three times a day. He got afraid, so he adjusted his life. No, he didn't function out of fear. He chose faith over fear. And so Daniel did exactly the same thing he'd been doing every day of his life. He went to his room, kneeled down, and he prayed to God. Now, we don't know what Daniel was praying about three times a day. The only thing that the Bible tells us is that he was giving thanks to his God just as he had done since his early days. That's what we know about his prayer. That's all we know. Three times a day, God, I just want to thank you for preserving my life. God, I just want to thank you for my childhood. God, I just want to thank you. For the new king we have, God, I just want to thank you. He was just coming to God, thanking him as he'd always done. Scripture nowhere suggests that he prayed for deliverance from his scheming enemies. And never hints that he prayed for the king to see what Daniel's enemies were up to and to change the law. All we know is that Daniel gave thanks to God and that he was apparently in the long habit of doing this. Daniel knew the other officials had it in for him. If he kept on praying, and, and think about this, these guys were so convinced Daniel would keep praying that they said, we can make a law and he will violate it. He's that committed to his God. He is a man of faith. Let's make this law. And, and what these officials had in mind for Daniel is exactly what happened. But none of it prevented Daniel from doing the right thing. Because he trusted God more than he feared the other officials in the king's new law, he kept on with his daily routine of offering thanksgiving to God. He embraced faith over fear. And here was the problem that King Darius realized too late that he'd been played. When Daniel's accusers told the king that Daniel had violated the new law, the king was greatly distressed, the Bible says. And he spent the whole day trying to find a loophole in the law to get Daniel out of trouble. But in the end, he, he just couldn't do it. And as the sentence was being carried out, Darius exclaimed to Daniel right before he gets thrown into the, the lines, and it says this, it says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Even Darius has got some faith in this situation. He was in fear. Man, I got to figure out how to make this thing work. I got to figure out how to save Daniel. I can't figure it out. In desperate, hey, may your God, whom you serve continually, obviously, 
May he rescue you. And that phrase, whom you serve continually, man, that's pretty telling, isn't it? It indicates that Daniel was known to Darius as someone who was always pursuing the service of God. And for Daniel, walking with God wasn't an emergency plan. It was a way of life, and other people knew it. And now most of us know how the story turns out. Daniel is tossed into the lion's den, but God sent an angel to prevent the lions from harming him. King Darius, distraught at the idea of losing his most trusted advisor, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat. And so the next morning, he was up at the crack of dawn and rushed down to the place that the lions were kept. And he called out, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And incredibly, he heard Daniel's voice. Daniel said to the king that he was fine. And he said God had sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. And he added that he had really never done anything wrong to the king. Darius then ordered that Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. And the Bible says no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, matters didn't turn out so well for Daniel's accusers, however. (laughs) Old King Darius had them tossed into the lion's den along with their entire families. And uh, surprise, surprise, God didn't have an angel keep the mouth shut of the lions. Now, here is the statistic that I find most interesting. The book of Daniel contains 153 verses detailing what Daniel's life was like during all the time leading up to the lion's den. But there's only one verse that gives us any information about what life was like inside of that den, and we read it. In other words, the experience in the lion's den is not the main point of the story of Daniel. Even though most of us think of him as Daniel in the lion's den, the heartbeat of the story is that every day of his life, Daniel exercised faith over fear. And that's what enabled him to embrace uncertainty when he was thrown into a den of lions. He had carefully formed a habit of trusting God. Daniel believed in the provision of God that God would be able to take care of him no matter what. He believed in the promise of God that the creator of heaven and earth would watch over him and would not let his foot slip. He believed in the power of God that God was able to protect him even in a den full of hungry lions. And for you and I, that is what faith and trust looks like. We'll put it up here. It's worth taking notes on. Number one, belief and trust in God is a belief in the provision of God. Do you believe that God will really take care of you? It's the opposite of the fear of not having enough. God has a cattle on a thousand hills, right? Like he's got more supply. He is all the re- he's unlimited in resource. Faith is saying, I believe that God is going to take care of me. I believe that God is for me and not against me. Now, there are conditions to God's provision, There are conditions to his promises. There's conditions to all of his blessings. But our God is a good God, and he's not against you. He's inviting you to step and position yourself so that his provisions can flow. So do you believe in faith that God will provide, or are you in a position of fear? Let's choose to trust, put our faith in God. Number one, it's the belief in the provision of God. Number two, it's the belief in the promises of God. 
You can take him at his word. We sang that song last week. I really like it. Take you at your word. If you said it, I'll believe it. Yep, that's good enough for me. If God said it, I'll believe it. Some people, some, I know some people, and they question um, whether or not, like, I don't know if I'm really going to go to heaven or not. I'm, I qu- I'm not sure. Well, hey, listen, if you have uh, confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, which means that he's in charge, and every day you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him, then you can have confidence that you will go to heaven because that's what he said. If you want to be a disciple of mine, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Are you doing that? Yeah? All right. You have confidence. There's faith. Well, I'm afraid that I just might be too bad. That's fear. We're not living by fear. We're living by faith. I can believe the promises of God. There's faith. I trust what he said to be true, no matter what I feel. So if we're going to have trust and faith in God, it's a belief in the provision of God. It's a belief in the promises of God. And finally, it's a belief in the power of God. Nothing is too big for God. We think about David and Goliath. He's facing this giant in his life. Some of you feel like you're facing a giant. Can I just let you know, God is bigger than your giant. He's bigger than whatever you're going through. Whatever it is that's keeping you up at night, whatever it is that bothers you, God's bigger than that. His power is greater. God's not like an arm wrestling match with Satan and he's sweating. Like, that's not the picture. Anybody remember that movie, Over the Top? Sylvester Sloan? He'd take that hat, turn around. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) God's not sweating. He's not concerned that he's going to lose ever. Do you know when Satan left heaven how it happened? It was like lightning. It wasn't like, oh, they wrestled around and Satan threw God and then God threw Satan and then eventually God got him up and got him out of the ring. That no, wasn't like that. It wasn't like WWE. There was no extra drama added in. It was just, oh, you lifted your heart up and you want to be like me? Lightning. Oh, my goodness, where did he go? <laughs> it was not a stress. God is bigger than whatever you're going through. But you have to begin to put your faith in him. I'm not going to be living in a spirit of fear. It's not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So today, will you exchange the baggage of fear for faith? Here's the truth. You can't do better until you know better. I always like that saying. Can't do better until you know better, right? But just because you know better doesn't mean anything's going to change. I know a whole lot of people who say, you know what, I know that I'm better if I get up early and get my day started, but they still sleep in. I know people who say, you know, I'm, I'm better in life if I get eight hours of sleep, but they don't go to bed early. I know people who say, I, I, I'm really better if I wake up and read my Bible before I get my day started, but they don't wake up and read their Bible. Oh, I, I know I'm better if I go to the gym three days a week, but I don't go to the gym. three. Just knowing better doesn't mean you're doing better. You can't do better until you know better, but just knowing better isn't enough. You actually have to do something with what you know. And the problem that a lot of us have in church is that we know things that we're supposed to do, but we're just saying, maybe I should read what the Bible says about that some more. I don't really want to obey. How about we get into a small group and we'll talk about what we ought to do? That'd be good. 
Do we all agree we ought to do that? Yeah, we all ought to do that. Man, it's so good. Will you pray? Yeah, I'll pray. God, I pray that you'd help them do that. We have to do it. It comes practical at some point in time. It's not like God's just going to come and take over your body and you're just going to start moving in the direction he wants. No, you have to submit your will to him and move that direction. You can't do better until you know better, but not knowing better is not enough. You actually have to do what we know. And once you begin to act on what you know, I know I shouldn't be ruled by fear. I'm going to be ruled by faith. As you act in faith, that's when your mindset changes. Your mindset doesn't change just because you know something. Your mindset changes when you act on it. You don't lose weight until you start going to the gym. You don't get healthy until you change your diet. But I know how to change my diet. I don't care what you know until you do it. It doesn't matter. Knowledge is not enough. In the same way, knowing that you're living in fear and ought to live in faith, that's not enough. Well, I know I ought to. Well, okay, we'll do something about it. Because action is the only thing that really changes your mindset. And, and, and your faith when you exercise is not stepping into blind, uh, unguided space. No, we're to put faith in what Jesus told us to. It's pretty clear. It's outlined for us. We know where we're supposed to exercise faith and courage and step out. You don't just step out on whatever you made up. You got to know what God wants you to step into. And that comes by knowing him. So as we get ready to close today, I know that some of you are are facing some fearful situations right now. My question for you is, will you put down the baggage of fear and exercise your faith? Will you trust God to be the good shepherd as he leads, protects, provides, and comforts you? For some of you, I know that God's calling you to get out of where you're comfortable, and you're afraid to do so. He's calling you to step into the fear, and when you step into that fear and you can't do it in my power, what, he's real, what you're really doing is you're stepping into faith. And when you step into faith, God will meet you there. It's amazing when you step, you'll be like, whoa, God is here. But it never happens until you make the step. One step is the difference between fear and faith. One step is the difference between my insecurities and God's anointing. One step is the difference between my weakness and his strength. I want to encourage you today, take the step. You are not created to be normal. You are created by an extraordinary God to make an impact on the world, and Satan is talking you out of it by causing you to fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Believe God. Act in faith. No more fear. I will choose faith. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you for those today who say, God, I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to live in a complacent, meaningless life, but I want you, God, to stir us up to the point of complete faith where we cannot stay where we are, but that we will take a step of faith. God, whatever it is, help us to be obedient to you. God, we thank you that you are conquering fear that these are irrational, that you are greater than any fear. God, we thank you that if fears can be learned, that they can be unlearned, but better yet, they can be broken. And so, God, we ask that you would break the spirit of fear on our life. 
God, may we live by faith and not by sight. May we have divine faith in you and not an ungodly fear of the wrong things. God, please set us free. And as we take these steps of faith, God, I believe that you will meet us there to reveal yourself to us, confirm our faith, and help us grow even closer to you. Because God, you are good and you are always faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.